American Hammers Radio with Tex and Liam from the Fresno Irons. Hello again. I know it's been a long time, but welcome back to American Hammers Radio. This is episode 21, joined with your host, Tex from the Fresno Irons. But ladies and gentlemen, I know you've missed the smooth, sensual sounds of the one and only Liam Bright. I know you've caught him on American Hammers TV. Liam how are you doing? It's been too long. Uh, boo, 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 boo. Hey, it's great to be back in the uh, back in the studio, back in the saddle, if you will. Because I mean, if I am rolling side by side with a Texan, I got to be riding a horse, right? It's the only way to do it. Because apparently, from the pictures you were sending me while you were on your vacay, it was all whiskey, wood fire, and I can only imagine it was shotguns and horses. There was definitely shotguns. We accidentally shot the horse, so <laughs> that's. Uh, PETA, don't get on us too much there. Um, I, I got to say, we, we did a poor job of trying to schedule. We, we originally had planned to do some shows while I was in Texas, but uh, it's my fault, Liam. I, I, I drank too much. It's 100% on me. Uh, As one does. Yeah, I mean, I found Crown Royal. Free plug for you, Crown Royal here. Ooh. Salted caramel whiskey. Nice. It tastes like candy which means that I can't handle my whiskey because I has to be candied whiskey. So, I mean, it's not whiskey at that point. What is it? It's just kind of like flavored alcohol, right? It's melted Werther's. So Pellegrini be super into that one. So. Uh, I did it in honor of him. I did it in honor of him as if to say goodbye, sweet prince. <laughs> you, you, but instead of pouring one out, you were pouring one down yourself. Yeah. And then, you know, take the hand on the side of his cheek, pull the trigger slowly. There you and go. speaking of that, a lot happened. And yes. you're mentioning it right there. Let, let's break it down. West Ham uh, got that win against Chelsea. They didn't win again. They finally fired Pellegrini. Finally, and it was sorely needed. I, I said on this podcast that it had to happen. That's what I wanted for Christmas. And wouldn't you know it, days after Christmas, they finally let him go. In fact, they let him go hours after a loss. So that tells you how much the board was fed up with it. And they said there has to be a change. I hope that he knew going in, but he looks so lost sometimes. Maybe he didn't. You know, I feel like he's the kind of guy, Liam, that when he's talking to you, he keeps talking and he goes, I, I don't remember what I was saying. <laughs> like he just is kind of aloof there. Well, it was very evident in his post-match uh, debriefs, like the the interviews and whatnot that he would do, is that he kept going back to the same lines. It was always this, oh, if we score more goals, we win. And if the other team scores more goals, it is hard to win that game. Yeah, dummy. Like, that's how all sports work. It, it was it – was, he was befuddled is the only way that I can put it. At every single – Post match, during the game, every single instance, he's when he's sitting down, he's just sitting there stroking the tie, doing a whole lot of nothing, and I, I'm infuriated. Like we're standing the entire time screaming at you know the projection screen, and he's sitting on his on his butt. Like there's just, I have no tolerance for somebody that is not as passionate about the club that, as we are. And when you're the freaking manager, like come on, dude, get it together. Well, let's dive into this for a second. What happened with Pellegrini is the fact that did he ever really truly know his best 11? I don't think he did. No, without a doubt. There was, he had his go to players, you know, the ones that he knew that he was going to put out there. Unfortunately, that go to player became Roberto, which was obviously a, a big uh, uh, machination of his downfall. But it's, you know, I don't, I don't think there was ever a point that he fully knew what he was going to do tactically, formation wise. Um, lineup, even his bench, his substitutions were always a head scratcher. I mean, it was, it was difficult to watch. It was, uh, it's, oh, it's more than, uh, it's infuriating. <laughs> yes. Like, it's just so, it, it was so frustrating to watch this club because let, let's, let's be honest. When the appointment was made, I think every West Ham fan was happy. I think there was a lot of people that wanted Rafa Benitez. Sure. But there was a ton of people that were happy with this hire. And I don't, I think he kind of came out of left field a little bit. I don't think, I think we heard the name, but we didn't buy that this is the guy West Ham could get. And I think it was a, it was a good hire. And I think he did some good things. I think he definitely showed, um, the uppers at West Ham how a class club is ran. Now, I'm not saying that we ended up on the pitch well, but you remember the changes he made to Rush Green yeah. to improve those situations. He did bring in a high higher quality player. Um, we started targeting higher quality players. So I don't want to sit there and pile on him because he did do good things for the club. Right. But he's clearly lost it tactically and he's lost it as a manager in order to control 
that locker room. I mean, we heard the stories right there towards the end that people were turning to Mark Noble on what to do because they wouldn't listen. And, and players would be asking Pellegrini what I do. It's like, well, you'll figure it out. Yeah. No, I won't. Like I'm Declan Rice. I'm 22. Tell me, feed me with your knowledge. And he's like, here's a Werther's original. <laughs> like, you're not going to like, that's what my grandma used to do. when she didn't have a question. She's like, do you want something to eat? <laughs> yeah. Like that's what always happened. And it's just, it was frustrating to sit there and watch his downfall. But I think, Pellegrini has to seriously self-reflect if he ever wants to manage again because his managing style only works now in a spoiled club. Yeah. When he's at a man city or he's at a Chinese club that has a ton of a ton of money. So when you really break it down, Pellegrini going had to happen. I don't want to pile on him and say that it was the worst job ever, but it was the worst job ever. Yeah. It yeah. really was. I mean, there's there's no getting around that. And so Pellegrini gets let go. That happens while I'm gone. Wake up is a beautiful day. I mean, I was hungover, and magically I wasn't after that. Um, we hire a new manager. We heard a lot of names of who that manager could be, Liam. A lot of names. We heard Too many names. Yeah, we heard some guys. We heard, uh, we heard Rafa Benitez's name again. I think any time – he could be dead for 10 years, and any time West Ham well, you know, could bring in Rafa, yeah. you know, prop him up, you know, just there on the sideline, and they go, we're not playing that team. Yeah, like dead weekend Bernie's, it'd be great. Yeah, I, mean, I could totally <laughs> see West Ham doing something like that because I feel like every time anything happens, well, we could bring in Rafa, you know. Uh, so the fat Spanish waiter didn't get the job. No, thank goodness. Um, we heard – the name Eddie Howe, who you know, I'm a massive fan of. You were. You and there were there were quite a few of the other guys on uh, American Hammers TV that were pulling for Eddie Howe. Like Charlie Boy was going for him. Um, you know, I, I think uh, Selly was, was in, in favor of Howe. For me, I don't particularly like how he lines things up defensively. So, which, as we get into game, you know, we'll, we could talk about that as well. But, you know, I, the, I thought that he's still a young manager. I'd like to see him get maybe one more club under his belt before we start looking at him. But I understood people's reasoning why. Young guy, hungry manager, probably overstayed his welcome at Bournemouth. So probably time for him to move on to another club anyways. Why not West Ham? We almost never go young with our managerial appointments. So I understood the reasoning behind it. It just wasn't my pick. And and this is why I'm going to tell you, you're crazy, Liam. <laughs> I love you, but, but you're crazy. I don't know if you know what the definition of insanity is. It's doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. We have to change the narrative. True. And my, my thought process was clearly, clearly, Eddie Howe was the right decision. Why? Because he's reached his zenith at Bournemouth. He's not going to do anything more than he's done. Yeah. And you mentioned to me in our pre-production meeting, ever since he was linked to West Ham, Bournemouth tanks. <laughs> Nosedive. <laughs> and, and I think it's a situation. I think he wanted out. I think the club is looking at the situation and going, he deserves to be out. I don't think it's bad blood there at all. Right. But the truth is, look at this, Liam. He's done more with less than – the only manager that may have done more with less than him is Dyche over at Burnley. True. And that, that's, that it's one true. of them too. Yeah. And the thing is that I love about Eddie Howe is listen to what the players that play for him say. Yeah, they, they love, love him. him. They love him. They absolutely love him. And that's the guy I wanted. Well, then, just like typical West Ham fans, and yes, I'm calling you out here, we hear the name Kovach. You had to whisper it. Ooh. Kovach. You had to whisper it so much. But every West Ham fan lost their fucking mind <laughs> because they're like, oh, my God, we're going to go get this guy. Let's bring in this guy. Kovach clearly has to be Kovach. Everything, everywhere I turned, Kovach, Kovach, Kovach. I could not get – if I heard his damn name one more time because I live in a reality, people <laughs> – he was never a real option. I don't care what anybody said. He was never a viable option for West Ham United. When you heard Kovach, Liam, what did you think? See, the, and I thought it would be a good appointment because here's somebody that uh, was able to do well, obviously, with Allaire. Um, he was able to do well with um, was it Frankfurt was the club. Um, saved, kept, kept him out of relegation, uh, brought them to back-to-back -back, uh, championship uh, uh, matches, which obviously they didn't win either one. Gets the promotion to Bayern Munich. Does all right with Bayern Munich, but maybe that's just too much club, right? Too much for him to handle. So he's not ready for your Arsenal, your Man City, your Man United, your Liverpools, right? 
but maybe he would be ready for West Ham. Maybe that was a younger manager that knows how to operate with strikers that would get the best out of some of our players that would bring new ideas. What you're saying that, that not the definition of insanity. This is trying something a little bit different, but I'll tell you, I didn't think we had a rat's chance in hell of actually getting him, but I wanted the board to at least do the interview to try to get the conversation for two reasons. One, either at least give it the chance or number two, have him spurn the club to show Sullivan Gold and Brady that we are not as massive as we think we are. And just because we moved to the London stadium doesn't mean that every manager and their mom wants to come and work for this club. And especially with that group of numbskulls that people are going to recognize. I don't want to work for these people. If Pellegrini is struggling underneath this board, everyone's going to struggle under this board. So it's got to be somebody that is prepared to deal with the bullshit that comes along with them. Kovach was definitely not that person. I, I'm glad to hear you say that. You've, you've saved yourself for me. <laughs> I was worried about you earlier. I'm coming back. But Podcast I, over. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, like it just, it's, it's infuriating because of this. We want to win. We, we were promised things from this board. They moved us out of our, our spiritual home, the bowling ground, who I, I, as I have to admit, I'm speaking out of text. I've never been there. Um, but I know what it means. I, I've seen the reaction of the fans and I know what that place meant to so many people. Um, I wish I could have experienced it myself, but what really what it comes down to is we have to stop shooting for the stars and seeing where we fall because we always fall where we want. We have to make conscious, smart decisions. Eddie Howe is the right decision. And the reason I believe he was the right decision is because he's a player. Uh, excuse me, he's a manager that can sit there and work under a constrained budget. He can maximize the talent of the players that are under him, and he's a tactical genius. He makes it, even when he gets beat by Liverpool, Liverpool have to work hard for every goal. Yeah, Like, he he gets it. I understand you have his issues with it defensively, but I think he plays defense a different way. He tries to play defense by attacking you and making you step back one step further than you actually want to. It's like that. It's it's the reverse where it's offense is the best defense type mentality as opposed to you know defense wins championships type thing. But I and I agree with you. I think that he did. He has done really well with them. I think more recently because the team has been so decimated with injuries that he had a light squad going into the match against us, and we just picked his defensive tactics apart. And I don't think that was so much like Moyes being a a, a a genius when he came to the match. I just think that Eddie Howe ran out of options. And you mentioned it right there. The one name that we all heard and didn't want to give any credibility <laughs> to was David Moyes. Because we didn't believe it. There was no way the board was going to, to was going to terminate him after the six months and say, you're not going to take us to that next level, but Manuel Pellegrini will. 18 months later, they turn around and go, hey, Moyes, we noticed you don't have a job. You mind coming back? There was no way that that was going to be a reality. Liam, I, I hope this hasn't happened to you, but we've all taken an X back. We've all been with a bucket of yuck and then gone, maybe that bucket of yuck wasn't so bad. And then you get the bucket of yuck back and it's worse now. (laughs) And this is my fear. Like, all right. When I heard David Moyes, I literally laughed and said, no way. Like whoever said that, that's some, that's some guy trying to get clickbait. That's all. That's all I thought. It was clickbait. Then ex West Ham employee said it. Yeah. Then I got nervous. The next S West employee said it again. And I went, they're really going to do this. They're going to bring back David Moyes, who we brought in to do a job. Get us to 17th place. Job done. See ya. Okay. You're not the guy to take us to the next level. Here's my thing. Now you take the X back. You have to forgive everything. 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 You can yep. hold nothing against David Moyes. You have to be all in. We as West Ham fans have to back him. Now, He's done a great job since he's got here. Six goals, two clean sheets, had a massive win that we sorely needed against Bournemouth, winning 4-0. And then he turns around and he does something that no West Ham manager really was able to do. He won an FA Cup game against a League One side. I don't remember the last time we were able to survive one of those. <laughs> when I saw we drew Gillingham, I knew right there. I was like, well, we're going out 4-0. Like, they're going to beat us. And he put out a very strong lineup. Now, I don't think we played well. I think that no. 2-0 score isn't, isn't actually representative of how we played. I think that Gillingham brought it to us, but 
three things I learned out of that FA Cup game because that's a game where I look at it and I go, where is West Ham actually? Because if, if we're where we think we are, we dominate that game. Yeah. We didn't. We have a lot of work to do. Since Moyes has been here, he's called out the team for not hustling, not working hard enough. I like that. Yep. He's a Scottish asshole, and he's got a Scottish asshole and Robert yes. Snodgrass. So I'm thinking <laughs> right there, we're going to see the best of Snotty. Oh, 100%. And we saw some pretty good Snotty. So if he's going to get better, that's even better for us. I also learned, my God, did we miss Fabianski. Oh, Lord. And it, it, you almost can't put into words how important it is to have that solid keeper back there. And I think that... I don't know if you and I talked about it back on episode 19, but um, putting the onus on Pellegrini that, oh, so much of his struggles are because we lost the number one, right? And unfortunately, our backup keeper who was untested in the Premier League absolutely you know, lost the plot. So this was, this was something that I think everybody was looking forward to. I think Pellegrini was looking forward to being able to have him come back. It just didn't happen soon enough <laughs> to save his job. And I think that... I expected Martin to be in goal for the Gillingham game, but I was pleasantly surprised that we went with Fabianski because it ended up that we absolutely needed his presence back there to keep us in the game. It was was a performance that I think left a lot to be desired for West Ham, but they pulled out the win. It ended up looking like a convincing win when we know it wasn't. Not at all. And the third thing I learned, and this is the most important, and this might be where I'm tipping into Moise's favor. He made incredible substitutions. Yes. Two of his substitutions scored goals. (laughs) When the substitutions were made, clearly momentum got to West Ham's side. We struggled early to even keep the ball. We had the leading of possession, but we did the majority of our passing in our half of the field or midfield. We weren't really doing anything against them. So, yes, we had the ball, but we weren't doing anything with it. And Gillingham was making a phenomenal effort, and they would steal it, and I'd go, Here, here's the goal, yeah. and Fabianski would stonewall them. Mm-hmm. But that brings me to this. Okay, so now, now this is where we got to get into the nitty-gritty. Here. Right. David Moyes is not the guy that I would have hired. He's not even close. He wouldn't even have been on my list. If he would have come and said, hey, I want the job, I'll do it for free, and I said, I'll pay you to leave. That's what (laughs) I would have done if I was in the position. But it's very clear since he's come in, it's a different West Ham. Yes. We're two wins, two clean sheets, two really solid starting lineups that he's put out there that looks like he's clearly been watching us. Because he, oh, yeah. yeah. he knows what he wants. We've gone two up top now twice under him, and we've been more dangerous. I don't think we're, we're turning it around and going to be the greatest team since sliced bread. I'm not saying that. But I have to ask this question. Was David Moyes the right decision for West Ham United for the next, now hear me out, Liam, yeah. the foreseeable future? All right. So the best way I can equate this is to the that saying at the end of the Dark Knight where it's he's the – He's not the hero we need, but he's the hero we deserve type thing. So, yeah, he's probably not the manager we need, but he's the manager we deserve right now. If you look at the talent that we have on the field, the amount of money that we allowed Pellegrini to spend, which broke transfer records, you know, the the most money spent on uh, Sebastian Allaire, you see that and you don't see the results on the field. At that point, there is, as we've talked previously, something rotten in the club. If Moyes can be the person to snub out some of that rot, he's never going to get rid of all of it. But we know he's a Scottish bastard. He's going to step in there, and he, I don't think, has a problem going against the board and saying, no, this is what I need. And I think with Pellegrini, he was almost shocked that the board would ever disagree with him or with Husilios. And I think the even with this whole recent thing with Stuart Pierce not being able to get the appointment because he bad-mouthed the board to some degree, or I mean, I guess it wasn't that bad, but whatever he was critical of them. I do think that at this point in time, we almost needed somebody like Moyes, a taskmaster who was going to come in, take no prisoners, no quarter, no mercy was somebody that obviously gave a crap about the club. Because as you said, he obviously had been studying us. He had been paying attention. If you go and you, um, Watch on YouTube. It's I can't remember what it's called. It's like cho- it's like coaches' choice or co- coaches something where he talks about his time at Everton and like tactically why he did things the way that he did. You can have a better understanding of like okay, tactically he is a really good manager. Just he did the best that he could with the players we had when he had us. So he basically had Billich's leftovers, and you got to remember at that point in time it was 
wasn't it Moyes that made the decision to move Arnautinovic from a winger to a striker? Yes. He has that type of, of recognition in some regard. And I'm with you, man. I wasn't in favor of, of Moyes as, a, as, as an appointment, but seeing what he's been able to do, and yeah, it's rose-colored glasses right now because it's back-to-back wins, but honestly, even if we finish 16th, 17th, and we stay out of relegation, if we have a really good cup run, I'm going to be happy. I'll be happy with him. I'll be okay with, with another year and a half of David Moyes because I almost want to see what is his long-term plan. What is he going to do with this club? Because if anything, he's going to set us up for the next guy and we'll be in a really good position. See, I'm sick of looking for the next guy. I really am. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm at a point now where... Moyes has clearly done his homework. You don't come in and, and put that performance up against Bournemouth unless you have a clear understanding of who we are as a team. And who you're facing. Yeah. And let, let's look, the, the thing about Moyes that I've always appreciated, even in his days in Everton, he's not afraid to make the big move. Mm. Notice something. Yarmolenko's not there. Yeah, and, not at all. And Yarmolenko was a $20 million player. I mean, he's one of the most expensive players West Ham United has ever purchased. And it's a situation he's not there. So he's come in and he said, look, your surplus to requirement, as far as I'm concerned, we don't need you. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're hearing these rumblings like Yarmo's not happy. And I, I totally understand. I love Yarmo. He's a one-dimensional player, and I get it. And if, if you have a system that doesn't fit what he does, he's not really good at much else. He's good at a couple of things, and that's what he does. But the thing is with Moyes, and this is where I kind of lie, I want to see what happens. I want the, I want the board to back him one hundred and eighty three percent. I would mm-hmm. go one hundred and eighty five percent, but he did manage Everton and I have issues with that club. So <laughs> really what it what it comes down to me for is this. You look at what Moyes is as a manager and he's never really think about this, Liam. He's never been fully backed. He had this phenomenal run at Everton. But they never invested in the club like they did under Silva. Right. They're bringing yeah. in Richarlson and some of the uh, the, the Manchester United um, knockoff, the defender or the the defensive midfielder they brought in. They brought in uh, the guy from Swansea City, the Icelandic international. Yeah. They uh, forgive me, a Sigerson. They bring in these guys that are. I mean, they, they never spent that kind of money. Ever. And he was there forever. He yeah. was at that club for so many years. And consistently finished in the top eight. Consistently. Yeah. Yeah. And they never backed him. So, obviously, he takes the Manchester United job. For whatever reason, it went so poorly for him. It did. Um, I, I can't say why. I think there was, I've heard read a lot of rumors that that the board didn't back him at Manchester United because they the only reason they hired him was a favor to Sir Alex Ferguson because he said, when I leave, the only man I want to take my job is Moyes. Right. And so I think there was some question. They did the favor because of what Sir Alex meant to that club. I don't think they ever were really bought in on him. Um, so when you really break it down, Liam, has he been at a club that's going to go all in on him? I don't think so. You know what I mean? And it's it's difficult to give it, it's difficult difficult to critique him this early on in this tenure because as we said before, he was given scraps to try to make something out of I think he what had five months to try to save the season by the time they let Billich go. I mean he didn't have a whole lot of time to really implement what would be his system. I think now because he has the time, he has the funds, he has the higher quality of players going into it, I think he's starting from a much better spot than he was in when he was saving us at the end of, what, 2017 and whatnot. It's, it's, it, I think it's incredibly important, as you said, for the board to back him because he hasn't ever had that. And if this board can get their heads out of their asses for once in their lives and actually recognize, I mean, David Gold had said numerous times that Moyes was his appointment. That was the guy he wanted back in the club. The problem is Sullivan's the one that holds the purse strings. So Gold has to rub one out for Sullivan to try to get him to loosen his grip. Well, he makes enough toys. He can figure it out. My goodness, right? But he's got to get it to the point where, where, we're spending the money and I'm not saying we have to break the bank, but let's be smart and strategic in the pieces that we move in. And I know we'll get into the transfer stuff, but this is what in, in, in really analyzing what we've seen from Moyes versus Pellegrini. Think about the Arsenal game, right? We were up one zero completely dominated that first half. What happens? Cresswell goes down, right? So Pellegrini makes the substitution Masawaku. I think all of us probably would have done the same thing. You know, we, we immediately go, okay, well, that's probably what makes the most sense. When 
uh, and then we lose the game three one with Gillingham, who goes down right back right for uh, Frederick goes down. He brings on Zaba, and we're like, no, why won't you bring on somebody that's a pacey winger? Because we don't, we you've got a three man back line. Like, don't bring somebody that doesn't have pace. But then who goes and scores the goal? Zabaleta. Uh, like, who's the one that breaks the deadlock? Zabaleta. And I don't think it was just a lucky thing. I think Moyes understood what type of player he needed in that specific position. I guarantee you, had Pellegrini still been in charge of that game, we would have lost it. But with Moyes having that, and then, as you said before, Fornals being the other substitute, scores. Yeah, he brought on Sanchez, but he did it to waste time at the end of the clock because it was a 30-second cameo. My wife even turns to me. She goes, why'd they bring that dude on? And I was like, no, he's, he's trying to wind down the clock. And she goes, oh, okay. Is he any good? I go, no, he's terrible. She's like, all right, fair enough. I, the thing is this, and this is, here's the thing. I, I've been thinking about this long and hard, but let's look at this. David Moyes makes the move to put Arnautovic as a striker, transforms our team. Yep. transforms our team. Now, look, Arnautovic is not a natural striker. I don't care what anybody says, but he works harder than most, most strikers do. So that's why he gets goals. And I, I think his finishing is, is good, but it's not great. Look where he played Masuaku in this game against Gilliam. Yeah. He played him in a midfield attacking winging role. Yep. He did not play him in a defensive role. Again, you have a manager that understands the talent and Arthur Masuaku has come out and said multiple times, I was never a defender until I went to the Greek League. And the only reason he was put there at Olympiacos was to get him on the field because he was so dangerous going forward. And if you play for Olympiacos in the Greek League, you don't get a lot of teams attacking you. <laughs> no. Roberto played for Olympiacos, and he was a phenomenal goalkeeper because Olympiacos <laughs> has all the money. They're the <laughs> Manchester United of the Greek League. So it makes total sense that all this is happening. And this is my point with Moyes. We got to buy in. We got to be 100% in. Yep. I don't like that we go back to an ex. I don't like it. I don't date exes in my life. And when I have chosen to do that, I look in the mirror and go, what the f*** was I thinking? <laughs> like, I don't get it. You know, I sit there. I'm like, this bucket of yuck tastes worse than it ever did before. And so I'm going to ask you this question. This is a total Liam question. So I'm not taking any credit here. But bringing back Moyes, and you look at the track record of the managers that we've brought in, do West Ham United have a problem signing these managers that they have names, but they look to be past their prime? Are we getting, are we falling into this trap of hiring names instead of quality? Yes. I, I, the short answer, absolutely yes. If you look at our last run of managers, and I'm talking all the way back to, you know, like, Kerbishly, Pardue. I mean, all the way back to Redknapp through, you know, Moyes, Pellegrini, what, what have you. Really, what? Redknapp and uh, Allardyce are the only ones that I can think of offhand that had another Premier League appointment after they left West Ham, right? Because Redknapp went to, I think, Spurs and um, Allardyce went to Crystal Palace, got the England nod for. A little bit, and well, then I think you had it for two point five seconds. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. It still counts. It still yeah. counts. But when you look at that through all the managers we've had, like none of these guys have been able to maintain any sense of consistency when it comes to managerial appointments across the top flight, whether it's La Liga, Bundesliga, uh, um, Serie A, Liga Un, or uh, obviously the Premier League. And I think that that is inherently part of the problem: is that we are not looking for talented managers that are on the rise. Look at what Chelsea's uh, doing with, um, uh, with, yeah, with, with Lampard. I mean, you look at somebody like Frank Lampard. I mean, he didn't have a whole lot of managerial experience after leaving New York city FC and MLS. People pretty much thought that he was going to be washed up after that. He gets the, the uh, Derby appointment is able to do well with them and then gets bumped right up to, to Chelsea. Like, yeah, Chelsea has had some struggles this season, but they're still in the top half of the table. It's not like they're sitting down in 17th, 16th where we are. And that's a young, unproven manager. You look at what uh, some people were talking about, Steven Gerrard and what he's been able to do at Rangers. I mean, that's a, that's a top flight club when it comes to the Scottish league. I mean, if you're at uh, Celtic or if you're at Rangers, those are the top two. What are you so, talking about? Hearts is great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Or what's Midlothian. Yeah. So no, but you, you think about that. It, it, you've got young managers. You've got to be able, be able to identify young talent and understand how is that going to benefit the club? How is that going to trans? 
transform this club from what it is to what we need it to be. And as you said, going back to the bucket of yuck, going back to your exes, you know, this is, this is a problem that the board have is that they go for the shiny star, right? Like they're, they're like a child that their attention span is that of a goldfish and whatever is the newest shiny thing on the block. Oh, this sounds good. Let's go with this. You know, we, we've been talking about with, uh, um, some of the, the the transfers that Sullivan has done, right? Where you'll have you'll have the you'll have the the um, talent lined up. It looks like the price is good, and then all of a sudden it falls apart at the last second. And instead, we go with somebody that makes absolutely no sense as an addition to the club. It's we've seen this year over year, time over time. But it's you can't teach this that old dog new tricks. There is just absolutely no way that they're going to change their methodology. The only way you change that is you bring in a manager that goes no. And a director of football. That's what we really need is a DOF. But you get that team that comes in and says, no, we are going to control the talent that goes on in the field. You are going to pay for it. That is your job is to pay for it. It is our job to win uh, the league. It is our job to win cups. I want to say, and, and we're going to fact check this, and we'll let you know on the next episode, but I'm almost positive Moise's first appointment last year, we lost. I think when he came in, I think we lost. I think it was the first four. Yeah, we, we lost. Yeah, we lost a couple. So the thing is now, like you said, he's in a better position. We bring in, you know, we bring in him, and there's a statement win against Bournemouth. It's not just a win. It's a crush. It's a 4-0. Mm-hmm. We look dominant. I think West Ham are bucking this trend of hiring these managers right now that are past their prime. Because here, here's the point. Sullivan wanted Moyes. He was very adamant about it when he went on the ex West Ham employee podcast. He admitted it there. Gold, right? Um, yeah, yeah, you're gold, right. Gold. Yeah, excuse yeah. me. Sullivan talks to yeah. no one. <laughs> gold. Gold um, said that he wanted Moyes. He said he he even mentioned on that podcast. Remember, he expects to see Moyes as the manager of West Ham for a long time to come. Yeah. You know that Sullivan pulls the strings because he has the ultimate power, and for some reason, Karen Brady's there. I think just because. You know, she's attractive for an older woman. I think every West Ham fan would like to give it to her. You know, I mean, forgive me for saying it, but it's true. Um, and then throw up immediately afterwards because they I, just realized what they've I, done. I just think they would rather her just, just be a pretty face. Right. You know, like, because sometimes she puts her foot in her mouth too often. Well, with that stupid column that she has. And let's be honest, like, she was what? The grounds? She was like the grounds coordinator at Birmingham City when they ran that club into the freaking ground. So it's like you you have this triumvirate of idiots that already ruined one club that was a lower-level club and now comes to a much larger club. And because David Gold was played in the academy system, I guess, when he was much younger. But let's keep in mind, Karen Brady has no affiliation to this club. And freaking Sullivan is Welsh. He, he, has, he grew up into some like in the East End for like a little while. But it's not like he... It's not like it was a, a, a huge, uh, huge uh, part of his life being part of West Ham. So the only one that has that devotion, in my eyes, is David Gold. And that, that's my point. I think what's happened is this. Gold was sold on Moyes from the very beginning. Sullivan and Brady were not. And Sullivan, who, like I said, he brought him on, didn't really back him because he can kind of block a manager's success by not giving him the players that he wanted. And Gold probably sat there ever since they let him go. Well, you know, we, we could have kept Moyes. Yeah. What if you'd have done that for Moyes? Now, look, I, I will never give, forgive Moyes for Jordan Hugel. Not, <laughs> not going to. And that's going to be held against him. And I think that it has to be noted. Yeah. But, but the point is this. I feel like, and I, I, this is total speculation on my end. Gold was in the ear of Sullivan and Brady. Moyes is out there. Moyes wants to come back. You know he never stopped talking to Moyes. You know he didn't. Oh, yeah. And he wants to come back. Moyes wants to be here. That whole Everton, Moyes going back to Everton thing, I I don't know if there was any truth there, but I think that that relationship between Gold and Moyes was so strong that when the opportunity arose, Gold said, I'm going to do whatever I can to get you back at this club, and he sold him on it. And now that, that he sold him on it, that's why I think, to answer the question, I think it was a yes, but now I think we're bucking the trend because if we went after the shiny object, Liam, we would not bring in Moyes. No. no. And I'm not – look, I want to go on record here. I'm not sold on Moyes. Two games is not enough for me to go, he's done it. I'm not a West Ham fan like that. Okay, I'm not going to sit there and lose a game and say, burn the club down. Like right. I'm not going to do that. But the point is you can't ignore the success he's had with the same team that Pellegrini had. 
when Pellegrini was losing games to Bournemouth. So let me ask you this, though. So we've got an 18-month contract for Moyes. When you look at in the next year and a half, what does Moyes have to do to extend that contract past 18 months? Or once 18 months are done, regardless of where we are, do you want to see us move in? Because you did say earlier on that you... You're, you're buying in on this and you want to see, you don't want to wait for the next guy. You want this guy to get it done to make it work. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm sick of waiting on the next guy. I'm, I'm honestly sick of it. it. It's to a point now where what I want to see happen is I want to see West Ham United buy into this guy, give him whatever he needs, take away all excuses that he could possibly give you. And what I expect to see is a team that finishes 10th or better. Because at this point, I think we've put ourselves so far behind. That's a realistic expectation is to get us into the top half of the table and finish there. And then the next year, over the summer transfer, you go for it with Moyes. And you say, I'm going to give you what Everton never did and what Manchester United was unwilling to do. And buy into this guy and say, we think everybody's missed the boat on him, so we're going to go. Now, that's that, that's the mentality I think you have to have. I don't think Moyes <laughs> is going to be this guy. I think he will... He's going to come in, he's going to steady the ship, and then the message is going to get stale like it did last time, and we're going to ax him. And we might ax him before his 18 months is out. That's what I personally think is going to happen. But that's not what I hope happens. Right. What I hope happens is that we progress under him. And the thing is, it's like I told you on the last episode, all I want the board to do for Christmas is to talk to the players and say, who do you want as manager? And if they say, keep Moyes here, then I think it's going to work. And now we're at this point where they're going to have to put the money where their mouth is, right? It's the transfer window. And when we look at this transfer window, David Moyes was not given hardly anything last time, and he bought Jordan fucking Hugel. And, <laughs> and, and granted, that was a favor to his brother, who I believe is the agent of Jordan yeah, Hugel. Yes. Um, but he made, he made, that was a poor, uh, we've been, that, it's like, I, forgive me, but Jordan Hugel's like a skin tag. Okay, he's like sitting on the side of your neck. It's hideous. It's ugly. You're kind of a good looking guy, but if you could get rid of this, you'd be a little bit better looking, and maybe that girl would actually text you back. That's kind of how I feel about him. He's a skin tag that we got to get rid of, and we finally did. Okay, like I, I believe he's gone. I, 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 maybe I've just told myself he's gone, and maybe he's actually not. But isn't isn't he on loan? I think oh, he's on loan. Don't say that. I think shit. He's, yeah, because he's at Crystal Palace, isn't he? Oh he's on my loan god. There. Well, uh, we got to get rid of that. Okay, yes. we ha- we have to get rid of it. Um, but I'm curious because when you talk about identifying talent, we we can't ignore that Huslos and Pellegrini really wanted Roberto. So we have to acknowledge that that was incredibly poor. Right. Well, Moise's Roberto is is Hugel. But the other caveat that people don't remember is we needed a striker. Okay, there that wasn't we can't ignore that fact. We needed a striker. We couldn't count on Andy Carroll to stay fit. We had to have someone. So he goes and signs this guy out of the championship that's from Preston United that's a decent striker. Right. Um, and they bring him in, and he's there for cover, it looks like. And he never actually – he makes a couple first-team debuts, but they're late in games. And he doesn't really do anything to impress us. And the, all the stories coming out of the training ground was that he wasn't. So I kind of can understand that that signing from Moyes or pushing for that. I can't understand what Huslos and Pellegrini saw in Roberto. Right. But look at the talent evaluation that we have out of Moyes. If you exclude Hugel, Anatovich to the front, playing Masuaku in the position he's most comfortable in, putting two up front, putting the team out there, saying, telling Yarmolenko, look, man, you don't really have a role here. And I know that hasn't come out as public, but that's what I think is happening. And look how we're playing. So what happens if we bet on this guy in the transfer window and we give him his money. Now, here's the names we've already heard. Joe Allen looks the most likely to happen, and I could totally understand it. Um, we've also heard the term uh, Fernandez, Randolph, who failed his physical today, so I don't know what's going to happen with that one. <laughs> um, you have Berg and Barboza are other names that we've heard. But this is the real question when it comes to the transfer window, and this is what I want to get into with you. Do you th- how do you use West Ham viewing themselves in the mirror for this transfer window? Are we in a relegation fight and that's how we need to operate? Or are we ignoring the fact of our poor form saying that he's won two games, we're corrected it, 
We need to go get him. We need to go get the best players we can. What do you think the right move is, and what do you think they're going to do? I, I think, honestly, in their heads right now, they don't think they're in a relegation battle. I honestly think that they're like, well, it's just a poor run. The manager just didn't have it. As soon as you know, we get a couple more wins under our belt, especially because this table is so tight that we're going to catapult up the table. We'll be right back where we were, you know, last season where we finished 10th, you know, like, Oh, we'll be in the top at the table. We'll be fine. I honestly don't think they really look at it that way, which is a problem because that means they're not going to unload the wallet. Like they need to like, yeah, Darren Randolph at 4 million. And I guess, um, Middlesbrough ha- still owed us money from when we sold it, sold him to them anyways. So it's not even like it's actually going to cost us 4 million. Like this was something that was more recently coming out. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see how that even plays. If he even gets the nod. I mean, I was fine with Martin as a number two, but with him being injured, you really can't take the chance on Roberto. I would rather, I would honestly rather spend 4 million, bring in Darren Randolph and just ax Roberto's contract. I don't care if you sell him. I don't care what you do with him. Just terminate the contract, get rid of him. That's the smartest thing you've said tonight. Thank you. I have my moments. There's little nuggets. Um, Carlos Sanchez, same thing. Cut the contract, get rid of him. I think with Yarmo, I think with a Jet, a, Jet, a Yeti or a Jetty, I think you got to probably sell both of them. You're going to take a loss. Nobody's going to pay back the money that we spent initially for them. But any money that you get for them right now is money you can spend in this transfer market right now. Um, I liked, I mean, I like the idea of spending money on a striker, especially if it is somebody that we can get that we know is going to actually perform. But the pairing of even Anderson with Allaire was freaking genius at Bournemouth. I think that would be devastating against any other uh, club that we go up against. I think with Ajedi and Allaire in the Gillingham uh, match, I think that one struggled because there was definitely just no connectivity between the two of them. But I think with, right, because it was Ajedi that was up top with him. Uh, in uh, in the Gillingham game, yeah, yeah, Gillingham game. It started with uh, Anderson up at the top with him. Oh, okay. Well, I guess it just wasn't as impactful in that one. Um, but when you look at what they were able to do with Bournemouth, what you're able to do with Premier League competition, not competition, you know that where they're just going to kick you constantly and get away with it because they're a lower league team and the refs always give the benefit of the doubt to the lower team because here comes the big bad Prem team. Um, I I think right now the priority is a right back because you've got Fernandez out or Fredericks out for what they're saying six to seven weeks. You need a backup in that position. Like, yeah, you have Masawaku as a backup somewhat to Cresswell, but I actually liked the back three if you can get them playing with a little bit more consistency because it does get Diop back onto the field. But I liked uh, Masawaku's pairing with Anderson. I thought they had a really good overlap. That's what led to the Zaba goal was that really quick one, two in that power pass that Anderson put in to put uh, Masawaku in, in behind. So I think that there's a lot of potential there, but I do think without Fredericks, Zabaleta, although he's a really experienced tactical player, he does not have the pace that we need for the Premier League. So we need a pacey right, um, right, right back, not right winger, right back. I'm interested in this transfer window because I, I agree with you. Um, you know, ladies and gentlemen, listen to Liam. He knows what he's doing here. Ooh, but, once in a while. But uh, I, I'm going to say this. I, I think the club are thinking they're in a relegation fight. But here's the caveat. I think David Moyes is. Yes. And I think David Moyes is going to be the voice of reason at that transfer table. He's going to talk to him. And I, I think here, here's the truth. And I don't know if people want to hear this. We're fine at striker. When you serve, give service to Allaire, he's going to put goals oh. in. And when you play him with a with two up top, he's gonna be more effective. You buy a player of that caliber, you play to his strengths. You don't make him play to yours, which is what Pellegrini was doing. And so I'm a firm believer on this. We're fine at striker because when Antonio's healthy, him and Hilaire up front is deadly. Yeah. And then you have Anderson that can slide into that role. You could even throw in Lanzini up there, and he can do some damage. Now Lanzini likes to play in a deeper role, and I understand that. But what they need to do right now is our number one problem this year has been the creative midfielder player. We have two, let's be honest, defensive midfielders and, and Mark Noble and Declan Rice. You need to go get a guy. And I'm going to keep saying this guy's name because I think he's obtainable. And I think we can absolutely get him. You have to go get the East end boy out of Newcastle and John Joe Shelby. Yeah. Like that's to me, that's the one buy you can make in the transfer window that transforms everything. Now I do think we need to bring in a third goalkeeper. Uh, I, I honestly wouldn't spend the money on Randolph. I would let, I would go with an Academy guy in that third role and I would relegate Roberto to playing with under 23s. But I guess with a Nang 
I guess he struggled. There was a game recently where it just it it looked like he was a Roberto 2.0, like it was real, real bad. So I think we, I don't think we can. Um, and what's the other guy? Nathan Trot. That's the other yeah, one. He's injured, I believe. Yeah, but that's the problem with John Joe Shelby. He's also injured, and that's why Newcastle is on the on the downturn right now because like Miguel Almarone, John Joe Shelby, like they have a bunch of injuries in there. Even. Uh, What's his name? Uh, the right back for U.S. men's national team, uh, Yedlin. Um, even he's playing with a broken hand right now. Yeah, it's it's freaking nuts. So I think there's. I would still buy him even though he's injured. Oh I know you can't, but I'd still do it. I know. Well, maybe he'll come on the cheap right at that point. But yeah, no, I, I'm. I think that the the right back position. You're right. Um, I think that we even without that, we can still make it work with the other players that we have. Really give him no other money to spend, and we at least get a third goalkeeper. That's just insurance at that point. I yeah I again when it comes to transfers I I agree with what you're saying but I I I don't know why I'm saying this I think David Moy am I becoming a David Moyes fan you just might in be. the middle you're a, the, you're a homer for Moyes what the hell is happening here <laughs> I I just think David Moyes is got the right mindset for this club right now and I think he is definitely going to be the voice of reason at that transfer table I don't know if he's going to win right but I think he's going to sit there and say no. You know, we need a guy like Joe Allen. We don't need to go spend sixty million on the striker who we're going to overpay for, who's never scored a goal in a meaningful league. Right. You know, and that's the thing, and and it's going to be interesting. But it's the real question is, can Moyes continue this form? And we have a game coming up this Friday. Mm-hmm. It starts at noon out here on the left coast. I mean, excuse me, west coast. Sorry, the best coast. <laughs> yeah. um, it starts at noon out here. It's three o'clock for you guys back on the east coast. Um, when you really look at it, we're playing Sheffield. Now, every game was a worry. But I'm feeling pretty confident going into this game against Sheffield because we should have beat down Bournemouth. We did. We should yep. beat down Sheffield. And if we beat down Sheffield and we get another three points, that's two Premier League wins in a row, three on the spin under Moyes. And it literally, when you change the manager and you change that culture – that's my that that's probably my biggest question I'm wrestling with Liam is is it just the change of manager and why we're playing better or is it actually the Moyes effect? I think it's the Moyes effect. I think it is a bit of a culture change, which is exactly what this team needed, and I think it came at the right time. I think a lot of us felt like after Arsenal, he should have gotten the sack and that way Moyes would have had more time to kind of build on even two more wins. That gives us an additional six points. You look at that right now, that would jump us from 22nd, 22 points, which is what we're at right now. That Another six puts us at 28. That puts us up there with Crystal Palace, who's at ninth right now. So if you're already in the top, the top half of the table, then if you look at who's under Crystal Palace, it's Arsenal on 27, Everton on 25. So that's 10th and 11th. And then just below them is Southampton, who we beat. And then below that, you've got Newcastle, as we just talked about, has been decimated, lost their last three. They've lost four out of the last five matches that they've played. And then Brighton, Burnley, and then us. But even with Burnley, lost their last three. The I think we're hitting Sheffield at the right time. They've lost their last two matches. Uh, we're on an upturn. We have that new manager bounce. And we drew with them last time. So even though we are going away to the Blades this time... Oh, my God. Listen to that. We drew with Sheffield at home? Yes, at home. Oh, don't remind me. But But that's what I'm thinking, though, is that if we draw at home with Pellegrini... With Moyes, I think we've got the energy, we've got the excitement, we've got the tactics, because he's going to look at that 1-1 draw and, so, and say, how do I turn this around? Because I think we went up early in that Sheffield game, didn't we? We went up and then, wasn't it Snodgrass that scored the lone goal and then Sheffield tied it? I'm, I'm almost positive, and you might want to fact check me on this, but I don't think any team in the Premier League has lost more points from a winning position than West Ham United. It's us, 15. 15 yes. points from an, from an advantageous position. So it's... It, the writing's on the wall that we should be able to take this game. I mean, if we get out of there with a draw, I guess I'll be content because I'll take a point over nothing, right? But I really think we need to come out of here with three. Even even at that point puts us on 25 points. That's going to jump us up another two to three spots. That, for, that much further away from the relegation zone. You're right. It's a must win. And speaking all this, and I, I, I love what you're saying here, what do you expect to see in this game? So give me your score prediction. So I think with Fabianski back, especially with the performance against Gillingham, I think we can get the shutout. And I would love to go three games into Moyes' uh, uh, second term as president. <laughs> I would love to see uh, us maintain that clean sheet. 
Uh, I think with Sheffield, they'll probably sit back. They'll probably try to absorb a lot of pressure. But I think with the way that Alaire's playing, I think if Antonio's back, that's another threat straight off the bench. Anderson's come back into form. I think that he's playing a heck of a lot better than he had under Pellegrini. I think a lot of the guys have a little bit more faith. We were missing Mark Noble in the in the FA Cup game. I think having that bite back in the midfield, that control, that distribution will definitely help. Um, I'm expecting it to be probably another 2-0. So I think exactly what we did to Gillingham. But I think we hit one early in the first half. I think we get another one probably around about the 60th minute. So let's say let's say Anderson scores and Alaire scores in about the 60, 65th minute, and then Sheffield just pours it on, and we just are absorbing pressure. We have a whole bunch of close calls. I think that a penalty gets uh, called, but I think Fabianski saves it. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, I, this is getting scary cause, um, <laughs> because the truth is I feel pretty confident going to this game. I think we are going to win the game. I think there'll be parts of the game where we look vulnerable um, because I think we're still adjusting to Moise's tactics. Um, but I think that the fact that we are working harder than we've worked in a long time. We're running more. Like I love what Declan Rice said. The, said the first time they met Moyes, he looked at him and said, I just want you all to know y'all are dead last in the league in work ethic. He just Damn. called him out right there. And I, I love it. Like you said, he's a Scottish bastard. I, I feel confident in this game. I think, I think even at not our best game, we're better than Sheffield United. I think we win this game. I'm also going with a 2-0. Nice. Um, I think we get a set-piece goal from Sebastian Haller. Nice. And the reason I believe we'll get a set-piece goal um, is because I think Sebastian Haller is about to show more of what he can do. Um, and then my other goal is going to come from, you know, my favorite player this year, Robert Snodgrass. Yes. I just, Snotty's going to find a way, you know, <laughs> Snotty. I just, I, I don't know what it is about this guy. I hated him for a long time, but now I just love the fact that he's willing to work harder than anybody else. I love it when he fouls because I feel like every foul he oh, makes is so beautiful. Like, in, the, in the Gillingham one where he, was it? Yeah, Gillingham where he cuts in shoulder to shoulder, just bucks their player completely over and then looks at the ref like, what are you talking about with shoulder to shoulder? And you're like, dude, you annihilated him. Like, but I, just, it, yeah. I don't care. I'm fine with it. Yeah, I, I, I love what he's doing. I've also got uh, a 2-0 win, so I agree with you on that. So for the first time since you've been doing the show with me, yes. we're in 100% agreement. But here's the key. Who's your man of the match? Ooh, oh, that one's hard. I'm actually going to go with your guy. I think it's going to be Snodgrass. I think that he... What, both games he played? No, he got subbed out in Gillingham, didn't he? Uh, Snodgrass, yes, he did. Okay, yeah, but he played all 90 against Bournemouth. So I expect him to be Moyes' like, right-hand man, where he's that guy that pretty much stays in through the entire match, unless he gets injured or if he's just completely dog shit tired. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to say he's going to be that workhorse. And I like that call. Shout. I think I, I, I'll probably plug him for a goal instead of Anderson. It'll be Snodgrass that puts one in for us first. And my man of the match, though, is going to be Philippe Anderson. Nice. Two assists. I love it. I think he sets up both goals. I think he's feeling it. Um, I think he's happy. I think he feels like he's free under Moyes. He can play. He's not tied into whatever Pellegrini was trying to tell him. He probably didn't understand what Pellegrini was trying to tell him because he mumbles too much anyway. <laughs> you know? That may have been the problem. We may find out we never knew what the hell he was saying. He was mumbling all or, the time. Or maybe it's a Brazilian just really hates uh, a Chilean. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> that... that there is an element there of truth. Um, so my man of the match is going to go with Philippe. You're going with Snotty. Snot. Yep. And you're also changing your goal prediction yeah, to Snotty. Yeah, so Snodgrass um, and Hilaire. I like your shout for Hilaire off of, uh, of a set piece, though, because that that scissor kick that he put in, beautiful, man. I just love it. And the, and in Gillingham, when he was dropping back on defense and he did that one overhand kick to send it flying out of bounds, I was like, this dude's just showing off now. I love it. Yeah, the that, confidence. I and love that's it. That's why we don't need to buy a striker because we have that. Yes. We and have I a think, $40 million. And I think we have Antonio as a secondary piece. Mm -hmm. So I don't even think we need cover. Um, and Argetti, I mean, I, who knows about him? But so that brings us to the, you know, my favorite part of the show. Yes. Um, I, I, you're learning <laughs> to love it. Um, it's time for a yellow and red cards. Hit me with your yellow card. So yellow card, I'm actually going to give to the players because I think they needed to be more vocal to try to make this change happen more, uh, happen sooner. Because as we saw with that Bournemouth match and also even against Gillingham, these players can play together. Even if the tactics were not there or the training was not there, you cannot tell me the Moyes effect was that quick. He basically had two days of training between the time that Pellegrini was sacked, he was brought on, and then he was able to start training these guys before Bournemouth. So the Bournemouth win 
is on the players. So if they could do that against Bournemouth with only two days with a new coach, you can't tell me they couldn't have done that in previous matches. And I'm not saying that I expected them to win all of them. But those matches like Arsenal, where we saw them give up in the second half, those are the those are the instances where I go back and I don't fully blame Pellegrini. I blame the players that it does fall on them to get the results. So now, especially if we're as us as supporters are going to back Moyes, Tex, these guys have to back Moyes, and I want to see a hundred and eighty three percent effort from them from now till the end of his contract. And even if they decide to extend it past these eighteen months, you still give him your all. If Mark Noble retires, you still give it your all. I don't give a shit. You're in it to win it. Do it. That's one hell of a yellow card, sir. Thank you. It's my favorite so far. (laughs) One hell of a yellow card. My yellow card is going to go to the Fresno Irons. As you know, I know I'm calling out my own group here. I'm calling out my own group. I'm giving a yellow card to the Fresno Irons because two years in a row now, we have not shown out for the FA Cup. We only had eight people there. You were there. You accounted for half the people there. That's right. My wife, myself, my son, and my daughter, who is only three months old, people, three months old, and she still made it out, kitted up for the match. And what's, she was full kit wanker. It oh, was awesome. She, she, she was full kit wanker. Oh, it was beautiful. Um, it, it's, it's a serious situation, guys. Uh, Fresno Irons, we got to be there. We got to be loud. We got to be proud. Uh, it's just a yellow card, though. So it's just a warning. You're fine. You know, yes. you know, you know, you know, just don't accumulate. You know, then you <laughs> will have to ban you for a match. So now give me your red card. Oh, so my red card is, is it's got to go to the refereeing style in the FA Cup matches. So the, as I, as I alluded to earlier, there were a whole lot of fouls that were happening that were not being called. And I'm not saying that uh, I expect them to, to protect every Premier League team, but you need to have it be fair. The way that you're going to adjudicate these games needs to be done consistently, and it needs to be done fairly. You cannot just hand out yellow cards and fouls and give free kicks to the lower-level team because you're trying to even the odds. Like, you know... That's yeah. That's that's easily the 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 thing that frustrates me the most. It, perfect example. I've given red cards to VAR, right? Where how are you going to call a penalty when somebody sneezes on a Liverpool player, but yet we get two guys brought down in the box and we get nothing. We don't even we don't get a, a free kick. We don't get a foul. We don't get red cards, yellow cards, anything. No and we PK, get a three nothing. second review. Yeah, this is insanity to me that they're the the only good part about VAR now is that they gave Noble the softest penalty probably of all time. So I'll give them, I'll give them a little bit of a shout back for that one. But with the FA cup, if we're going to stand a chance, we cannot rely on the ref for fouls There were multiple times where our guys got brought down and they would lift their arms up like, what the heck? Get your ass off the grass and chase that guy down. Fredericks. If you had just gotten right back up and kept going and hadn't, Put your arms up like you were Robbie freaking Keen. You probably wouldn't have pulled that hamstring because you would have had a couple extra steps. I I I, I love the red card again. I did the, the passion in the cards is, is beautiful. <laughs> um, my red card is um, and this goes out to all our listeners, all nine of you. Um, I, I want you to know that I apologize. More than anything, the fact that I was drinking way too much in Texas and was unable to connect with Liam to actually do a <laughs> podcast, so we had to go 13 or 14 days without a show. So that's on me, Liam. I, I apologize. I missed the sound of your voice. Oh, thank I woke you. up. I woke up saying I, I miss Liam, and I didn't do anything about it, so it's my own damn fault. <laughs> um, so that that's where my red card goes. Uh, it's now time for everybody's favorite part of the show, where we try to get you to understand that we're a little bit important. It's time for shameless plugs. Hit me, Liam. Perfect. So as I always like to end our shows, uh, please make sure that you have subscribed to the podcast. If you'd like to give us a rate and a review as well, that would be fantastic because what it actually does is it allows us to help climb the rankings on either like Spotify or especially like an iTunes that if you go ahead and rank us, hit them with, with those five stars and give us some feedback, some constructive criticism. Let us know what you'd like to see more of, what you'd like to see us change or develop. You know, as this is only our third episode together, we'd like to continue to develop the show so it is your premier podcast to that you listen to when it comes to all things West Ham United. Uh, also make sure that you're supporting our parent company uh, American Hammers uh, Network and you can check us out at our brand new webpage fully redesigned uh, at AmericanHammers.net so make sure that you have that bookmarked that you have it saved as your homepage on your laptop or your desktop or your iPad or your iPhone or your Android device or whatever it is that you're utilizing to browse the interwebs these days. Make sure that you are always always visiting AmericanHammers.net. You can also go to A 
ahtv.threadless.com to support our merch. And if you'd like to buy their, uh, a shirt to support this show, they, we do have American Hammers radio shirts. They are smart. They are clean. They are crisp. You can get them in a myriad of different styles, including hoodies, sweatshirts, long sleeve shirts, everything that you could possibly want. And that way, not only are you supporting our network, but you're also supporting Tex and me as the two, the, the two main flagship hosts of our pilot program here in American Hammers Radio. And then finally, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, AH Radio, WHU on Twitter, Instagram, just American Hammers Radio. And if you order tonight, Liam will sneeze on your shirt, and you can have a little taste of Liam nice. when it gets to your some, door. Some Fresno allergies for you. It'll be perfect. <laughs> I, I the only shameless plug I have, Liam, is the same thing. Um, out here in Fresno, we do something really special. Um, it's called Five Five Nine FC. It's every supporter group in town links together. I encourage all cities to uh, en- encompass this. Remember, we all unite under the same flag of uh, friendship. You know, yes, we all hate Tottenham, but let's not let's hate the club. <laughs> let's not hate the fans, even though the fans are an atrocity to deal with. Um, the 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 point comes down to uh, to this. You know, we just want to grow the West Ham community here in America as much as humanly possible. And uh, if you find yourself out here on the uh, left coast in the Central Valley of California and you get an urge to watch West Ham, why don't you roll on over to Full Circle Brewing Company and hang out with Fresno's finest, the Fresno Irons. Uh, We would always love, we welcome everybody through that door. And remember, your first game, your first beer is on us. Um, We got a lot to talk about next week, uh, Liam. Uh, Just going to tease this here. The FA Cup draw, West Brom. Nice. The return of Slavin Bilic against the man who replaced him, <laughs> David Moyes. It's, uh, it's going to be an interesting show, so make sure you tune in for that. Uh, final thing here, as always, come, come on, on, you irons. irons.